Alrighty, sorry for the small hum in the background. It's early in the morning, so I'm assuming the air on, is on in the library, and that's why there's a small hum. But for civil procedure, we continued our discussion about subject matter jurisdiction, and we're getting into the federal question aspect of whether or not there's actually jurisdiction that could be found in this case. Uh, just to recap, since we did quite an extensive recap in lecture, to find subject matter jurisdiction, you need to have either diversity jurisdiction, which is established under uh, Idle 28 U.S. Code uh, 1332, which just means that people need to be members of different states to bring state action, uh, state-related lawsuits to federal court, and then federal question jurisdiction, which is what we're going to be getting into, which is enshrined in Title 28, Section 1331. So federal question jurisdiction... 28, 1331 states, the district court shall have original jurisdiction of all civil action arising under the Constitution, laws, or treaties of the United States. So on its face, this appears pretty straightforward. Anything that deals with the United States or federal law government is going to fall underneath the courts. However, because of the docket number, it there were a lot of complaints that were being arisen under the United States Constitution, and the federal courts were saying, we, we can't do this. So they tried to get the legislature to make some changes, but ultimately they needed to establish their own rule, and it's called the well-pleaded complaint rule. And this is discussed and set up in Louisville versus Motley, Louisville and Nashville Railroad Co. versus Motley. And what happened in this case is that there was a plaintiff who was injured, and they were awarded lifetime passes um, by the railroad company so that they wouldn't bring forth a lawsuit against the railroad company. And so they took this deal, they got their lifetime passes, and they said, no, we, we won't bring any lawsuit against you. Unfortunately for them, the Congress passed a bill, or rather passed a law, saying that any lifetime passes were voided. And the reason for this is because people were really upset. The railroad companies were giving out lifetime passes to politicians because railroad companies had an interest in being on the good side of politicians, and so they were trying to, so to speak, win them over. You could say it was a bribe if you want. Uh, under all matters of the term, it very well could have been. Very well was likely that it was. But anyways, federal government, Congress, passed this law saying lifetime passes are not going to be applicable. And so the Motleys in this case, they had a lifetime pass. But they're not a part of the government. They weren't a politician, so their contract that gave them this lifetime pass, they say was breached. And they say that when the railroad company refused to renew their pass, they breached the contract that they were going to be given a lifetime pass over and over. And so we see here that this is actually an issue with contract law because it was a contract breach. Contract law is a state issue, not a federal issue. And so in the complaint, everything is going to say state, 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 state. 
except in the complaint they're going to say defense could argue federal, 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 federal. And so Motley's put that in there. They were preparing for the defense of saying everything that they're going to say is going to apply to the federal government. It was because Congress passed this law. It was because Congress wanted this to happen, and so we can't uphold this. They're preparing for that defense in their complaint. But ultimately, their complaint is not related to federal. It's related to the state. And so that's what this Supreme Court case is all about is, can this be done in a federal court underneath a federal question, uh, section 1331? So we see here, this is a state claim. They're both from Kentucky. So diversity jurisdiction isn't gonna work. And they filed in a federal court because they said that there was this federal aspect. So what is the well-pleaded complaint rule? So even if a claim is related to federal statutes, it's not going to be sufficient to find subject matter jurisdiction, and that's because the plaintiff's claims themselves arose underneath state instead of federal. So the claim needs to actually arise under a federal thing. So it's all going to be about what the plaintiff is doing. Did the law affect their claim specifically? Is this actually a federal issue instead of a state issue? So to simplify, this just means that the federal question must rise out of the claim of the complaint, not the answer or an affirmative defense of the answer. And the purpose of this rule was to reduce the number of cases that were getting into the federal dockets. This was not supposed to happen. Uh, you can say that the Supreme Court kind of took matters into their own hands, which I don't know if I agree with. And ultimately, if you were to ask the Supreme Court now, they would say, yeah, they probably shouldn't have done that, but because Congress hasn't said anything otherwise, ultimately it's precedent, and so they're not going to change it. So the Supreme Court wouldn't rule, overrule anything like this because obviously it's been seen to have been effective. But that is the well-pleaded complaint rule versus Mot uh, over Motley. We didn't get into this, but Holmes goes on to talk about the creation rule, which really is building off of Motley and saying how can you tell whether or not a complaint arose from, well, a claim arose under the Constitution in the complaint. That's the, well, create, well, that's the creation rule that Holmes talks about, but we didn't get about that in lecture. I'll save that for next week when we talk about the creation rule, as well as a couple other cases where you can have exceptions to the federal question but still find subject matter jurisdiction underneath Statute 1331. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join 
Law Schoolers Pro, and you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials, and the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.